Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Sandemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with Dr. Shannon Polk and um, have a discussion um, with her and learn from her. Um, she is uh, the richness of the conversation when you sit down and, and get to spend some time with her um, is just valuable. And um, just learned a lot from her. Um, learned about a new word, intersectionality. We learned. We discuss um, her work in the community and um, the, the, the power and the importance of consistency in the community. And we get to talk um, some questions about the people that have influenced her life and um, where her, her desire to lead and um, her giftings um, to lead have come from and how she's pursued that um, and uh, over the years. And uh, just a phenomenal conversation. Appreciate her and her willingness um, to encourage us and let, let us learn from her and um, spending some time with us on the podcast today. I do ask you to continue to send in your questions for Back Channel with Foth, and that's when we sit down with Dick Foth and get to learn from him um, on sessions of Back Channel with Foth. And you can send those to my email. And um, looking forward to those being sent in. Do want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, which would be Appalachian Spring Dermatology, bringing new life to your skin. Learn more about the medical, cosmetic, and skin cancer screenings and treatments at Appalachian Spring Dermatology. And sign up for Dr. Rosenberger's blog at wvderm.com. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. So excited to have with us today, Dr. Shannon Polk. Shannon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Dr. Shannon, would you go ahead and just introduce yourself uh, just a little bit for the audience? Maybe those, as I shared and when before we started recording, your name came up. I was looking for recommendations and um, your name came up many times. Uh, would you just share a little bit about yourself? Sure. So um, I reside in Flint, Michigan. Um, people may have heard of our town. We had a little water situation there, uh, for a few <laughs> years. Um, I am ordained with the Assemblies of God and I serve as the associate pastor at, uh, a church here in Flint. I'm a graduate of the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. That's where I obtained my doctorate of ministry. I also am a licensed attorney in the state of Michigan. Wow. Um, I am currently leading a work called the Witness Foundation. Our purpose is to identify, train, and fund the next generation of Black Christian leaders hmm. because we believe right now, particularly if you're looking at it through the U.S. context, we are in a civil rights movement yeah. of yet another time. Yeah. And so we look to find those people that can carry the banner much like Reverend Dr. King did during his civil rights movement. Very, very cool. Interesting combination, um, D-men and, uh, and, and a lawyer. And how did, how did that all come together? You know, um, I, gave this, I gave this speech at the seminary graduation, as a matter of fact. Um, that was, I grew up in the Black church. And hmm. it's important to make that distinction. So my mother was Methodist. Her mother was Baptist. And my dad's parents were part of the Church of God in Christ. Hmm. And so what they all believed was first salvation, then education. Okay. And so, although I knew I was called to ministry at a young age, my mom being the very practical Methodist said, we have enough preachers in this family. I need you to get a real job. You are not going to a Christian school. You are not going to a Christian college. I need you to go get a degree where you can go make some money. Okay. Yeah. So that's how all that started. And eventually... 
um, life circled back and my husband encouraged me to go to seminary. And so okay. that's how um, he, having grown up Presbyterian, was yeah. like, you Pentecostals need more education. I don't understand how you guys go and <laughs> preach about any degrees. And I was like, yet again, here I am back in school. <laughs> so you, lo- you love education then? Uh, I don't know if I love it, um, but I definitely feel like it adds something. And there's yeah. something about the process that changes you. Yeah, for sure. Well, for we're sure. Kindred, kindred spirits in that. I've been in school and um, I've promised my life I will not, my wife, I will not go back anymore. Um, but um, I love learning. And as you said, it changes us. And um, I love to learn and grow. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. So I'm a, I could be a career student forever. Um, you know what? I will say this, Erin. And one of my, um, one of my, I call her like a big sister. She often, when she speaks about leadership, she talks about us being lifelong and life-wide learners, knowing hmm. that people are now living into their 90s and to 100. Yeah. So the question is, what, how will you continue to grow yeah. mentally? How will you continue to expand yourself? Yeah. So that's yeah. an important trait to have. I have two teenagers and they're helping me expand and learn um, at a rapid pace. So that's, that's also an interesting stage of life. That kind of leads into the first question I had for you other than Jesus. Um, Cause that would probably be an easy answer. Um, who's had the biggest impact on your life? Um, and then how do you, how does that impact? How are you carrying that forward each and every day? So probably the biggest impact on my life was my mother. Hmm. I often tell people, my mom was my evidence that the Trinity was real because she was the same yesterday, today, and forever. You could count wow. on her consistency. <laughs> yeah. You could count on her steadfastness. Yeah. Um, she was not given to flights of fancy. Hmm. She was not a holy roller in that Pentecostal sense. Yeah. She was very steady in her hmm. faith. And so just seeing faith walked out in a very practical way, hmm. you know, it was, it wasn't the, oh my goodness, you know, let's, pray for three hours for someone. It's, I see bags on the street. This means someone has gotten put out of their house. We're going to go stand and guard their stuff until they're able to come back. Wow. Wow. We are going to, you know, someone's passed away. We need to take something over to the house and sit with them. Hmm. You know, very practical ways of demonstrating love and compassion Hmm. and all those characteristics we expect Christians to really have and possess. I saw her live them. Hmm. And so I would say that she has had the greatest impact on me. Now, unlike you, I'm not at the stage of teenagers. I have a daughter who's eight, who my mother is deceased, and she reminds my mother every day. So when I think about how I carry that forward, how do I help her understand a legacy that is deeply rooted Hmm. in faith? Hmm. And how do I help, you know, this little girl understand all of these lessons? Yeah. That are grounded in scripture, but I saw walked out by in my own house. Yeah, for sure. In a very practical way. Sitting and you mentioned sitting and listening when somebody passes away. Um, I think that's uh, what a beautiful model, but I don't know that um, it's so prevalent today. Um, I don't know if we're necessarily um, and to have that modeled and what a blessing that is to be able to sit with people and be comfortable in their in their time of sorrow and um, just to be a presence in their life. So what an amazing, amazing model, amazing testimony for your mom and uh, for you to carry it forward for sure. So you also share I looked at through your website, you share that successful leaders earn a community's respect through the consistent application of courage, faithfulness, generosity and integrity. Um, how does that play out practically 
And what does consistency look like in a community? So I have the good fortune of serving under a really wonderful pastor and his wife. Hmm. And recently I was looking at some photos. I was looking at the photos of graduating from seminary. I was looking at some photos with my daughter. I was looking at um, just a variety of photos of key times in my life. Um, And what I noticed is they were in the photos. Hmm. They drove to Springfield for that graduation. They came to a soccer game Hmm. that my daughter had. They showed up in all these different places. And I told them, I said, you know, it matters who's in the photos. Hmm. That's good. That's a good word. And so when I think about what that looks like, it's that showing up in the day-to-day. Yeah. Not just at those critical times or those high points or those events, but showing up in those moments where you're going to be in the photo Hmm. because you were there when it mattered. Yeah. So, you know, it's standing with people when they're going through a difficult time. It's having the courage to pull people onto the carpet when there's something that needs to be discussed. It's living generously by sharing with them. Yeah. You know, you know, I, um, I'm horrible at gardening. Okay. Absolutely despicable at it. (laughs) And so my pastor's wife said, what can I do? Your dad has passed away. I said, people are going to be coming to my house. I've got to figure out how to plant flowers and I don't know how to plant flowers. So that's what she did, wow. you know, and it seems like such a silly thing, not a big thing, Yeah. but it's, it's that kind of generosity that just says, Hey, I'm here. Yeah. I'm present. Yeah. Good deal. And to do that again and again, um, you know, not to be here and there hit or miss, hmm. but to consistently be present. You know, I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to ask your age and know your age, but I'm 44. And that idea of consistency seems to be uncommon. At least I can speak for Aaron Santamire and my generation of people who grew up in Wally Ford, West Virginia. So uh, I can't speak for everybody. So I'm owning it for myself. That consistency seems to be a battle. What are some reasons do you, th- you think that consistency is, is such a challenge? So here's why it's a challenge in my life. I will, like you said, I won't speak for anybody else. You know, I always, I always told my mom, I said, you know, it's so hard to live up to you. I'm living in a house with a black Barbie doll. You know, you're making this thing hard lady. Um, But I think what it is, is that you have to be able to tune out the distraction. Hmm. We live in a very fast paced world. Everything is done in 240 characters or less. Hmm. We have so many things that gather our attention. Um, so many things that are fighting to be in the forefront. Hmm. And so consistency comes through routine. But if everything I'm saying yes to, there's something else I have to say no to. Yeah. And so I had someone who was working with me who stepped back. And I said, why are you stepping back? And they said, when I looked over the course that I charted out for the year, there were some priorities I had for my family. Hmm. And I realized that I can't do that yeah. and do this. Wow. So I'm going to step back because before my year got crowded, before we got into Q3 and are looking towards Q4, (laughs) I said, this is what I want to see happen in 2021. Yeah. And so that consistency, it plays out when you're willing to say, when you're willing to map out, what are the three things I'm trying to achieve this year? What's Hmm. the major goal for my family? What's the major goal for myself? And then saying, okay, so every so often you're going back and you're reflecting. Hmm. Um, Howard Hendricks, who was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, always said, you know, 
people don't give themselves enough think time. Mm. So when are you taking that time to reflect, to evaluate what's distracting me? Wow. What's keeping me from consistency? Mm. And for me, I'm an Enneagram 7, so I'm always looking for the shiny thing, right? (laughs) I'm always looking for that thing. I'm like, ooh, squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. And so it's a battle for me to be in that place of reflection Mm. and to sit still long enough to say, wow, here are the things that are keeping me from being consistent. And then to put those things in place that will help me stay consistent. Yeah. Wow. So what I hear you saying, it just doesn't happen by, uh, our hazard was in French by accident. It's not something it would, uh, by accident, it takes a ton of intentionality to be consistent. Would that, was that, is that, is that Oh, for sure. It's purposeful, right? Okay. It's you be, you very deliberately choreographing the steps of your life. Hmm. Um, I had someone whose wisdom I trust say, I think the thing you're trying to do is keep in step with the spirit. Wow, that's good. That's good. That's good. Because there is a consistency and a rhythm when you're walking with the Lord that he will keep you in. Yeah, that's a good word. If you are staying in step. I happen to get ahead yeah. and sometimes I fall behind. <laughs> so I'm learning how to stay in step. That's a good word. That's a very, very good word. One of the other things I noticed um, as I was going through your website is you share that you develop leadership programs um, for people of color and specifically for people of color and women. And what are some specific focuses in your leadership trainings that maybe might be in those uh, trainings for people of color and women that wouldn't be in pop culture leadership? There's a lot of pop culture leadership out there. And so what would be some specific focuses and things that we can learn and grow um, from you today in that area? So one of the things that's really important, particularly for women and for women of color, is to know they're not crazy when things happen. Hmm. And here's what I mean by that. Okay. There's a, you hear a lot about the imposter syndrome, right? Can I keep up? Am I, you know, the right person to be in this position? There's a lot of doubt because so often you only find a handful of women of color or women in certain positions, people Hmm. of color, right? Mm -hmm. And so there there can be this feeling of feeling like you're the odd person out, the odd woman out. And so you may encounter microaggressions, you may encounter certain things where you're like, well, is it me? Did I do this? And so part of the training is reassuring like, no, that really happened. Okay. And the reason why your colleague doesn't necessarily get it is because it didn't happen to your colleague and hmm. it wouldn't happen to your colleague. Hmm. Um, an example of this is talking about something that is often referred to as the motherhood tax. Okay. So women, when they find out they're expecting and they will share that in a corporate environment, oftentimes people begin to pull back assignments. Because they feel like, oh, you know, this woman is going to be focused on raising children now. And so therefore, we don't want to make her plate too full. And the opposite is true for men. It's called the fatherhood bonus that Mm. oftentimes when men will say, hey, I'm going to become a dad. People are like, oh, we got to really support him because he's got a family that's counting on him. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. And so being able to name these things for women and for people Mm. of color Mm. and then Talk to them about, okay, so now if you run into that, then how do you then explain to your supervisor? How do you then explain to your team how you're going to be present? Hmm. So that way, if this is something that in their mind, they begin to reduce you into a certain role, Mm -hmm. you can begin to move out of that. Hmm. And you can begin to help reframe it for them. Wow. 
So obviously, um, I would fall into the fatherhood bonus category because I'm a father um, and I've never been a mother. So as a man and as a leader, what what are some steps that I can take to not drift towards what you shared about pulling away, pulling away? You shared that a female leader can come and share, these are the things I can do. But what can I do as a male leader um, to not drift to this, um, yeah, to, to motherhood tax, I think is what you shared. Right. So part of it is just being aware we all have what I refer to as our defaults, right? Okay. Everybody has them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's because of where you're raised. You were raised in West Virginia. I yep. was raised in Michigan where we make cars. So I assume that they should all go at 80 miles an hour, right? We all have our defaults, <laughs> right? Whether yeah. it's the music we listen to, the food we love, you know, the, one of the common examples I use is my husband's white. He grew up with green bean casserole. I think it's an abomination. I know it's somewhere <laughs> in scripture and I just haven't found it yet. But those are defaults, right? And so when you're getting ready to hire, when you're working with your teams, you have to own your default positions. Hmm. Have you ever seen someone with a physical disability in that role? Hmm. Because if you haven't and you have that candidate, because you haven't seen it, you may marginalize that person unintentionally. Hmm. Hmm. Have you seen someone who's single in serving in that role? Hmm. Because if you haven't, you may make an assumption that they would not serve well. Wow. And so being able to do that, being able to identify your own default positions and recognize where you may have a preference or a bias wow. doesn't make you a bad person. We all have them. We yeah. all make assumptions, right? I had to, ha- I had to explain to my sweet husband, that everyone with a Southern accent did not audition for the Beverly Hillbillies. You know, it's like having that kind of conversation because he's a Northerner. And so I'm like, honey, some of the smartest people I know are from Mississippi, Arkansas, and all over the Delta, sir. You know, but we have those biases. We have those tendencies. So what I often encourage people to do is just recognize that they're there. And once you recognize it, then you begin to ask questions and we have to stay in a place of curiosity. So if you have someone who, you know, says, Hey, I'm thinking about going into the mission field and maybe you're like, well, okay, why is that? What's behind that? Hmm. Get curious. And as opposed to saying an automatic, no, I had someone once say, well, why are you getting a doctorate? I just don't see you needing that. I don't see. And I was thinking to myself, would you say that to someone else, right? Are you saying that because you're curious whether or not I can handle load? Are you saying that because you've not seen a lot of people like me in this program? Hmm. So I think you have to stay curious. Um, you, before we got started, you talked about some of the people that are serving overseas in this in the international context, right? right. So what I found when I was majoring international relations in undergrad was there weren't a lot of people of color in that major. Hmm. And so one of the things that has come up is understanding, you know, that there are a variety of people that can serve in the foreign service. There are a variety of people that are serving around the globe in a variety of positions and normalizing that for people. Very, very challenging. Very challenging for me. And uh, very, very challenging on, on multiple levels. You also share about inter- intersectionality, or I hope I said it correct. That's a, it's a new you word did. for me. Um, and can you share what that word means? And then um, what does an integrated life um, look like to you and how, yeah. And just share about 
<laughs> sure. So intersectionality, it's this crazy little thing that says two things can be true, right? So I can be black and female and be okay. both of those equally, right? <laughs> You yeah. know, you can be white and have a disability. You can be a woman and you can be um, wealthy, right? You can have all of these things happening. And it's really important to understand that what intersectionality is because when people are dealing with either offenses or people are dealing with certain challenges, sometimes it can be difficult to know well, where, where is that bias coming from? Where are those limitations people are putting me? Why, why are they doing that? Is it because of my age? Is it because of my gender? Hmm. You know, um, I'm no longer the shiny penny because I'm no longer under 30, right? <laughs> so I get, I, I'm like, oh boy, when I used to ask questions about if it was my age, it was from an entirely different paradigm, right? As to why someone dismissed that idea. Um, but understanding that, you know, the things that, I may encounter because I'm a black woman are going to be different than someone else who's a woman or some who, who might be a white woman or someone who may be a black man. Mm. I have found that it's much easier for black men to navigate in certain religious circles. Okay. Um, and part of that being um, there's a receptivity to men. I joked with um, general superintendent Doug Clay about the fact that nobody's inviting me to the golf outings. <laughs> <laughs> And I actually can play. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's kind of this understanding of, oh, yeah, we're all going to hang out together. Yeah. And sometimes as a woman, you don't get invited to some yeah. of those things. Hmm. And so the issue with the intersectionality is, you know, there's a white woman that also didn't get invited, too. So we yeah. can have some camaraderie around <laughs> that. Like, hey, so we're going to start our own little golf league over right. here, right? Um, but just understanding that there can be some barriers. Yeah. And knowing how to navigate that. Now, what's really important about intersectionality and understanding that, and you asked about the integrated life. Oftentimes, people are trying to find work-life balance. I say, don't look for work-life balance. Look for integration. Hmm. Um, there's a wonderful professor at the Wharton School, um, and he talks about moving towards an integrated life. His name is Dr. Stuart Freeman. And he talks about looking at those categories of work and family and home and looking to say, how can I have them more aligned as opposed to having them compartmentalized? That's good. And I think oftentimes in faith, we tend to create this really bright dividing line between the sacred and the secular, hmm. as opposed to saying, how do all of these things intersect and how can I have more alignment? And so you're looking for ways as opposed to having, uh, thinking of it like the scales of justice, mm -hmm. look at it like the target, the target, um, logo, right? Those concentric circles. Yeah. yeah. And so that all of your life is overlapping in a way that feels good for you. So you don't feel like I have to, I can only be feminine in this place and I can only be black in this place and I can only be a Christian in this space. And I have to shut this off. And when I'm in other places in my life, because that can be very weighty Yeah. to not be able to be your full self as a person of faith. Mm-hmm or as it relates to the expression of gender or ethnicity. So uh, I missed it, missed the opportunity the first time around. I, I, I'm not going to miss it again. So you talked the, the example of the invitation. And then also you mentioned about somebody with, we've, if we've never seen somebody with a disability in this position, <sighs> is that fear um, on the person who is 
choosing somebody for a position is that your experience been is that fear that they don't choose or they don't know their uncertainty and then the compartmentalization that you talked about is that fear on on both sides is that making any sense at all oh no it totally is making sense so let me let me answer the first question there is something in the research it's referred to as in-group preference you know um i always ask people when you think about the people that you're most likely to call mm-hmm. if something either really great happens or something really bad happens, chances are they're close to your age. You'll share, they're close to your age. Yeah. You'll share the same gender and you'll share the same ethnicity. Okay. You might even share the same kind of um, socioeconomic status and maybe even the same background of experiences, right? Okay. And the reason why is because when you're having those conversations, you don't want to have to translate. <laughs> you want somebody who just gets it. Yeah. You don't want to have to explain why you don't want the green bean casserole. You just want somebody who, in my case, being from Michigan, is just going to sip, make a Boston cooler with you, burners and ice cream, and they just get it. It's right. just, it, you know, that's a comfort thing, right? right. Um, and so, but what happens is that that also happens when we're creating teams. Hmm. We want that same comfort factor. Okay. The issue is that the question we have to ask ourselves is, What does it take to expand our comfort factor? What does it take to expand being comfortable? I looked around one day and realized I didn't have any white female friends, not Mm. one. Mm. And so I deliberately put myself in situations where I was going to have to make some. Mm. Mm. I was like, I'm missing out here. I'm missing something by not having the mosaic, mosaic of experiences that I could have. Okay. Okay. And so... You know, I would say to those people as they're creating their teams, ask yourself, who are you most comfortable with? And then think about what you're going to do to get more comfortable with people who aren't just like you. Wow. That's who have various experiences. Very, very challenging. Very, very challenging. And uh, <laughs> I didn't want to miss the question twice. Uh, you, you, you gave me a softball the first time and I, I, I didn't swing. And then you gave me another one. I, I wanted to swing on that one. So, um, yeah. But you so. asked the question about the integration when people are that. It's what's called covering. People will cover part of their identity. So, you know, my husband works for the government. I have worked for the government before. And so sometimes you cover part of your faith identity. Hmm. And you don't make that real explicit in those environments because you think, oh, my goodness, I don't want to have to get into it here. I just want to be able to just worship <laughs> and do my I want to be able to worship over here and do my work over here. Yeah. And so you really kind of, you know, have those very clear delineations. And so when you say, is that because of fear? I think it is a fear. It's a fear of reprisal. Hmm. What's going to happen if I say this? What's going to happen if I mention, hey, what'd you do over the weekend? Well, I went to church. Yeah. Twice. You know, I mean. <laughs> Right. You know, that's not the same as saying I went to the soccer game with my kids. Right. right? You know, coach the swim team and wondering how is there allowance for you to fit into the community if you express all of who you are. Hmm. 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 And and honestly, in my experience, I own it more and more. I find myself trying just to stay in the middle of the line. You know, I'm a nurse practitioner. I go and see people for their skin problems and their rashes. And, and I try to stay in the center line because as you just said, because you don't know what you're going to say, that's going to take you down a different path. And just for instance, I, 
would go in since I've been back and asking, do you want me to wear a mask or not wear a mask? Well, that ended up being like a 25 minute conversation about wearing a mask and not wearing a mask. So I just wear them all because I don't want the 25 minute conversation about masks. That's I'm here for your rash. You know what I mean? But just that's a, a small example of covering because I'm just trying to, I don't want to talk about that. Let's just move it and stay in the center. But and that's a small one, but honestly, for who we really are and the more important things, more important things than mask, just having the courage to, to walk out and, and navigate those. Um, yeah, it's yeah. I just I know as middle. a black woman, it's a big deal about our hair. Hmm. You know, that's huge. Am I going to straighten my hair? Or am I going to let it, you know, be in its natural state? And hmm. I will be honest, there are some days that I don't want to have to explain my hair. Yeah. So I'm like, nope, <laughs> we're just going to straighten it. I don't feel like answering questions today. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah. Well, that's one thing is a white male. I've never, well, yeah, it's, it's turning gray. That's the comment recently. <laughs> Your hair is turning gray. I do get that comment, but that's, that's about it on that. So you share that gender um, cannot be separated from race. Um, can you unpack that a little bit? And then has the church been complicit or yeah. What is our responsibility in trying to separate and, and divide, divide? You know, it's so funny because people are always like, you know, you're, you're, you're a Christian before you're black. And I think to myself, and I'm a Christian, so you're a Christian before you're a man? Hmm. Hmm. Because you wouldn't say that. You're like, well, no, I'm I'm male. My gender matters. Well, here's the thing. If we believe in the Mago Dei, that God made us. The way that he gave us the gender he wanted us to have, yeah. he gave us the ethnicity he wanted us to have, the height, the everything. You know, yeah. if, if we really believe that, then it's for his purpose and for his glory. Mm. So it's not something I'm supposed to minimize. It's not mm. something I'm supposed to cover. It's mm. not something I'm supposed to ignore. It's something that brings him glory. It's something that brings him honor when I express that. Yeah. Wow. So... This idea that I'm gonna sep- I'm going to separate my gender from my race or something. Like, no, mm-mm. no, he did them both at the same time. He didn't say, okay, well, here's gender, and then we'll just slap some paint on her later on. I mean, <laughs> you know, let me see what colors I got left. Oh, we got a little extra of this. Let's toss that. No, it was. It was I, I, you know, I believe that God very deliberately said, "This is who I want Shannon Polk to be." Yeah, and so. To try to minimize that, I think, is doing a disservice to our creator. Hmm. 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 And what role, as far as the church, have you seen, I mean, you talked about growing up and different faith backgrounds. Is the church complicit in that, trying to separate that and one or the other? I think, I think in some ways, yes. I think in some, I think in some instances, because again, we're talking about a gospel that has often been focused around comfort in the past 20 years. Wow. And so anything that makes us uncomfortable, please don't bring that up. Mm. Please don't, please don't tell me that you need some adjustments because you're going to be pregnant while you're preaching, Mm. you know, because I don't want to talk about this. I just want to see you after you have the baby. I don't want to make any adjustments in the meantime. Right. I don't want (laughs) to, you know, but you know, it's, it's the same thing. And so the question is, how do we get comfortable Hmm. with things that we haven't been comfortable discussing? Most white people don't spend a lot of time discussing race. Most people of color discuss race at the dinner table from the Hmm. time that they're a child. And so 
one of the things that I often do when I'm doing work with folks that are white is saying, let's strengthen your stamina for this conversation. Hmm. Because you're not used to doing that. It would be like you trying to run a marathon and not having done any training. Let's talk about it. If you haven't spent time in other cultures, if you haven't spent time around other languages, if you haven't been spent time around other foods, then sometimes these conversations feel like you're jumping into the deep end of the pool. So let's start by getting you comfortable to have these conversations. And what you may not realize is not that someone wants to talk about race all the time or gender all the time, but I mean, gender comes up a lot when you're growing up a little girl. Being a person of color comes up a lot. It's not, I remember taking my daughter to school and someone saying, why don't you and your mom match? She was three. Mm. One of the Mm. little kids, maybe Mm. four. One little kid's like, how come you guys don't match? Mm. So in pre-K, I have to have a conversation with her about ethnicity, about skin color, about how I can be her mom and her dad can be her dad, even though none of us share the same amount of melanin. So there are some people who have more stamina in the conversation. So I encourage all of my Christian friends to think about what is it going to take for you to develop that same kind of stamina? Wow. And I think, well, what you're saying is stamina is developed over work and time. And the question, the real question is, are we willing to put the work and the time in to do it? And um, yeah, challenging, challenging, challenging. One last question for you. Um, As you look to the future, what are you excited about? I am excited about the fact that I believe God always has a remnant. So when I get discouraged, I'm like, oh my gosh, did you just see this? Oh, look at the headlines. <laughs> ah. I'm always reminded. I have to go back to scripture. He always has a remnant. There are always people that have not bowed their knee. We can't be alarmist. We have to be optimistic because we have a hope and a future. I think sometimes we forget about that blessed hope. The mm. fact that we are just passing through. Wow. This is not my home. Yeah, yeah. I am working towards glory every day. Yeah. Wow. Exciting. And, um, and refocusing, I think, uh, and refocusing on what, what really matters. Shannon, it has been a pleasure and a joy um, to learn from you. And just you're a phenomenal conversationalist. And um, just great just to have a conversation like this. And uh, oh, will, thanks. You, will you pray for us? Um, and pray that God will use those who are listening in to use this conversation to help us develop our stamina. Um, and just to, yeah, that the words you've shared that will not just remain knowledge, but be things we'll put into action um, in our everyday life. Sure. Lord, you know what each person is carrying. You know what they brought in with them as they began to listen to this podcast. You know where you have touched their hearts. Father, I just pray that you would continue to stretch them, that you would surround with people who would encourage them on the journey to living an integrated life, not separating the sacred and the secular, building the stamina that they need so that we can move towards a Revelation 7 church. Lord, any place where their heart has been pricked, I pray that they would be open and that they would repent any place where they feel convicted, any place where they feel like they need more courage, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, you would strengthen them in their inner man. And that you remind them that they have nothing to fear, that they only need to be strong and courageous and you will be with them. 
bless them, bless their work, bless their family, bless their friends, and draw them closer and deeper to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.